So what I want to do is, is on these Sunday nights, I want to at least take a short time and, and cover Galatians as a book. So we'll do kind of the overview and tonight talk about Galatians 1. The reason I want to use Galatians is because it is about defending the gospel or protecting the gospel um, and promoting the gospel. And really that's essentially how we want to pray for ourselves. Essentially that's how we want to pray for these churches and ministries. Um, remember, Paul, remember Paul says to Timothy that the church is to be the pillar and support of the truth. So we promote the truth and we also defend the truth in the context of 1 Timothy. The truth is gospel truth. And so a great way to summarize the mission of the church as we uh, do what we do, we not only have to promote great commission kind of thing, we also have to safeguard and protect um, the truth of the gospel. And so if you want to boil it all down, I'll, yes, give you the prayer requests, but think in terms of gospel ministry. What can they do to help train those other pastors to promote the gospel and protect the gospel so that those pastors can help those Christians in the churches promote the gospel, protect the gospel? What do we try to do? We try to promote the gospel, protect the gospel. And so Galatians is a great one. Also, it's great because Galatians is very much... Um, worldwide because it's it's dealing with this issue of Jew and Gentile. And if you have Jews and you have Gentiles, you have everybody. And so it's it's um global in that sense. Um uh, the reason we can have, the reason we can have an all nations gospel is because Christ is an all nations savior and that's one of the issues at stake in Galatians and so it's very fitting for that reason as well. So that's going to be the plan. We're going to walk our way through uh, opening verses are introductory, then we're going to talk about, um, I think I have a list of six reasons from Galatians why we would want to safeguard, why we would want to protect the gospel and promote the gospel. And in other words, why we would, we would want to be vigilant. So six reasons why we, we would want to be vigilant about the gospel is what the outline will be. But with that said, let's go ahead and jump right in. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's almost like he covers every topic in those opening verses. So we're not going to make comment. We're not going to slow down. But he just gave us like the sampling of everything he's going to cover, promoting and protecting the gospel of Christ. First reason to be vigilant for OBC uh, or on the other side of the planet, number one, because of the gospel's uniqueness. The gospel is unique. That means we need to be vigilant. Verse 6 says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Verse 7, not that there is another one. See, unique. There is no other gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There are these People who want to pervert it, who want to twist it, who want to distort it. And I'm shocked, Paul is saying, how fast you want to go and follow them. But you have to know there is no other gospel. It makes no sense to follow them because there's only one gospel. It's unique. It's outrageous to, to give ear to them who are saying it's faith and grace and Christ 
and. And in this case, it was, oh yeah, believe in Jesus. And make sure you keep your end of the bargain when it comes to law keeping. And he's saying, that's not another gospel. There's no such thing as that being another gospel. There's only one gospel. You guys need to wake up. So again, we want to be on the alert and we want to take that seriously. Even if we're not in that current predicament, if we know that the gospel is unique, there's only one That means all other things that bear the name are pseudo-gospels from perverted, twisted angles. So we have to keep that in mind. And a big way to remember it in Galatians would be there's a huge difference between faith in Christ, faith alone in Christ alone, and salvation by that, and salvation by faithfulness. Faithfulness is good. Faithfulness is absolutely good. But salvation is not by faithfulness. Salvation is by faith in Christ, not by our faithfulness. That would be a different gospel, but we have to remember that because we even hear that today. We hear that today sometimes from people who are coming from the right circles, from the right publishers, and somehow your ultimate justification will come because of your faithfulness. Well, my justification is going to come in no way, shape, or form because of my faithfulness, because God justifies the ungodly, Romans chapter 4 says. It's all Christ. Yes, I want to be faithful as a result in response, but the unique gospel is that it's the good news about the work of Christ, not about our work. So it makes it a huge, big deal. I was trying to recall, before we move to the next one, I was trying to recall this week, as I thought about this, what really kind of lit the match for me in my own personal life. When when did I think, this is such a big deal, I want to know issues about justification and what it really is, and I want to know what imputation is and what how, how that relates to justification and what does it mean to be credited righteous and Best I can remember, and that's scary because I don't have a great memory, but one one high point would be I remember being in seminary chapel at the Master Seminary probably in 1990. See, I can't remember. What year was the Evangelicals and Catholics Together document? 1994-ish. 94, 95. And I remember being in chapel, and I see John MacArthur walk in, and he tells the sound people to turn the sound thing off which means it's going to be good, okay? Um, why they do that, I don't know. But they turned the sound off. He'd just gotten in from the airport. He'd just gotten back from a meeting, probably in Florida, as I recall, and they were uh, meeting there. He and R.C. Sproul um, and others were meeting there with Charles Colson, with J.I. Packer, in essence saying to Charles Colson and J.I. Packer, what in the world are you thinking? What in the world are you thinking signing this document, this ECT, Evangelicals and Catholics Together, saying things like, we will no longer evangelize Roman Catholics? And John was so fired up. He was all fired up about the whole thing. And so, you know, he was, ta- he was jokingly talking about R.C. Sproul standing on the table, you know, all fired, who, who is friends with Colson. And they've had a falling out over these kinds of issues. It's not necessarily what was said in that chapel, but it at least caused me to take, take notice and think, you know, I believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But I really don't understand the implications. I, I, really, I really don't have enough depth here to really 
own it myself. And I think that's kind of in my own life where the journey started. I need to know about this stuff. I need to know about it exegetically from the scriptures. I need to know about it historically. I need to know what the issues are. And before you know it, you come back to Galatians. Because it's what's, what the issue is in Galatians. The issue is not liberalism. The issue is not anti-supernaturalism. Uh, the issue is, how do you personally gain benefit from the work of Christ? Is it by faith alone? Or is it by faith and your faithfulness? And can those both be the gospel? And Galatians is pretty clear there's only one gospel. There can't be two gospels. So I won't tell stories all along where we'll never get done. But these issues are issues worth thinking about and owning and going deep on because if there's only one gospel, I would encourage you to find out what it is. I say to my friends who disagree with me about this, about what the gospel is, in all earnestness, I've said on multiple occasions, you really need to study this. You really need to think this through because we can't both be right. In light of Galatians, we can't both be right. And so I'm either terribly wrong or you're terribly wrong, but we can't both be Christians and believe two different Gospels. And maybe that scares you, but Galatians ought to scare us then. Did Christ do it all or did He not? Both aren't the Gospel. So with that said, let's move on. Let's move on. A second reason why, the, why Gospel vigilance for us and for Germany or anywhere else is important, and that's because it is damnable to promote something else. It is damnable to promote something else. Super harsh, I know. But look what it says in verse 8. But even if we, Paul's writing in as an apostle, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Let him be damned. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be damned. How about that for throwing down the gauntlet? I mean, it, it is serious business when he says that. To promote something else is damnable. But it needs to be serious business if there's only one gospel. Paul says there is only one gospel, and so anybody who preaches something else is condemned. Once again, these, the, the, the difference uh, between what was going on here and the conflict would be um, not one of morality, um, not one of ethics, not one of conservatism. I mean, the, the, these would be the groups who are all right-wingers, share, sharing in the same ethics, sharing in the same morality, um, but that's not what the issue is. The issue is, is it by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone? And to say it's something other than that, is, he, he's saying it's, it's damnable. Because we could push back and say, but we have so much in common. And we could say we do. L let's stand up for what we do have in common. And maybe we can agree to that. But let's make sure we don't conclude that we're both Christians. Because the Christ is not the same. One Christ paid it all, the other Christ didn't. I found it super interesting what Al Mohler did recently. Maybe some of you who follow, follow the ministry of Al Mohler. Um, when he spoke at BYU, invited to speak at BYU, and uh, listen, to the, listen to the message or, or read the transcript. It's fascinating. You get nervous and you're like, why is Al Mohler going to BYU? 
And he makes himself rather clear in a tactful way and says something along the lines of, while we may not be in heaven together, we may be in a jail cell together. He's very clear on the distinctives even in his message. You know what? We can, we can be in agreement on some of these social issues. We would be pro-life. We would be for, you know, whatever kind of moral issues. Um, but he was sure not to suggest that we're both Christians. Different gospels. Not to mention different gods. It goes actually deeper than that. So let's not confuse issues. Did Jesus pay it all or not? Faith alone or not? It's damnable to preach something else. And so we want to be vigilant. We want to be eyes wide open. Let's move to the third reason why we would want to be vigilant when it comes to the gospel. Because it's going to be misrepresented by opponents. Because it is going to be misrepresented by those who oppose. The gospel is going to be misrepresented. We're going to be misrepresented. How about verse 10? We'll do this one quickly. For, I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Rhetorical question. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I almost didn't make this a separate point, but I made it a separate point. Misrepresentation. The accusation seems to be, Paul, you're just trying to be a people pleaser. Grace alone. If you say grace alone, grace alone, grace alone, you know what? You're going to draw a huge crowd because everybody's going to want a free ticket. You're, you're so soft. You're such a compromiser. You're just saying anybody and everybody could be saved. That's way too easy. Saying, you misrepresent me. Yeah, I, you do have it clear that it's only grace and it's free and that's absolutely right. You acknowledge your sin. You trust in Christ. That's absolutely true. But you're saying I'm a man pleaser and that's why I preach this? Who's trying to be a man pleaser now? How did that sound to your ears when I said, if anybody preaches a different gospel, they're damned to hell? How nice was that? I'm not a man pleaser. I'm not in any way, shape, or form a man pleaser. But I do seek to be a Christ pleaser. And if Jesus Christ paid for all of our sins, for anyone to say it's Jesus Christ and you being faithful, that's condemnable. But we're misrepresented. He was misrepresented. That's not why we're preaching what we're preaching. We're not just trying to draw crowds. We're actually preaching it because it's based upon what's really true and what Christ has really done. So we want to keep that in mind. Let's move on to number four. More could be said, but let's move on. A fourth reason for gospel vigilance for OBC and for other places. We could pray this for other churches because it's not man-made. Because it's not man-made. The gospel's not man-made. Verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Think about that for a second. If we did make this thing up, we are egomaniac freaks to say that somebody who has a different made-up story is going to hell. How, how crazy is that? If we made up the gospel or it's based upon some kind of human tradition, and we say anybody who disagrees with us, are go they're going to hell. 
That's like egomania on steroids. And Paul's saying, he says, I didn't get this from any other human being. The only reason I have to be as abrasive as I have to be when I have to be abrasive is because it came from God. I'm bound and committed to this. Sometimes I wonder if we actually think the gospel actually came from God or it's just, it's just our best thing because if it actually did come from God, we would be willing to maybe raise our voices and say, how dare you? Gut level, heart level conviction, Christ did this for us and the way to gain benefit from what He did for us is by trusting in Him and only trusting in Him and that's what God says from Genesis, by the way. If we believe that, we have to say, it's not faith plus faithfulness. can't be that. Progressing onward, he makes the same point, point in slightly a different way. Look what it says in verse 13. For you have heard my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people so extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. I, th- I think right there what he's doing is, is he's making his point. You know, I've been committed as, as a radical Jew, law-keeping kind of Jew, my whole life. I've been radically committed to it. If I were a man-pleaser, and if this didn't come from God and it came from man, you would see that I was, I was pro-Gentile all, all along. Or I at least had the trajectory of being pro-Gentile. Because that's what's at issue here. Uh, can, you, can you be saved? Can you be a Christian apart from the law? And people are freaking out because Paul's saying, absolutely you can. Hey, this came from God. It obviously came from God. I was going 200 miles an hour this direction. And all of a sudden... I'm going this direction? God, God gave me this message. This is, wasn't my creativity. This wasn't where I was headed. I wasn't developing my thesis and my argument. It was a total 180 for me. Verse 15, But when He who set me apart before I was born, and who called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas or Peter and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Verse 21, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. It's not humanly contrived. This is the last thing in the world I wanted to do. Now I do it. Because it came from God. Fifth reason for gospel vigilance for us and for others and for our prayers for other churches and ministries and Christians. Number five, because it is God's purpose in the world. It is God's purpose in the world. This complements the fact that it comes from God. Fifteen says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal a son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. 
Notice when it started for him. Before he was born, this was God's plan for, for Paul. To preach Christ among the Gentiles. That's God's plan. When we get to Galatians 3, he's going to quote Genesis. Genesis 12. Paul's argument in Galatians is, this has been God's plan all along. This has been God's plan since Genesis to save by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's only and always and forever will be that way. Even back in Genesis chapter 12. And in here in our text, in one sense, they would even argue for even before that, it was God's plan. Paul was set apart to preach this. How about this? So in the Galatian context, when people are all up in arms about Gentiles being saved only by grace, only through faith, only in Christ, Paul's argument's going to be they don't read their Bibles very well. They don't read their Old Testaments very well. What I'm giving is God's plan. It's always been God's plan. And if it was always God's plan then, it's always God's plan now. Again, the relevance would be, this is God's plan for the ages, unfolding Jew-Gentile. So once again, I'm getting in my, my defensive stance. There's that place for protecting and making sure we, we can at least do our best by God's grace. No guarantees. We're not sovereign. But to do our best by God's grace to have something to pass on to believers who would come after us. It's God's plan for the ages. And not only are we going to defend it, we're going to promote it. This is, this is God's plan. This is God's purpose. We won't read it now. Galatians 3, verses, three to, or verses 6 to 9 are very important when it comes to this. Finally, final reason for gospel vigilance, for OBC, for prayer toward others or for others. Number six, because it alone reserves the glory of God. Because it alone reserves, or maybe I should say preserves, the glory of God. Verse 24 said, And they glorified God because of me. They glorified God because of me. Totally changed. What he was against, he's now for. Who did this? God did this. Well, it's bigger than Paul's change. The introduction makes it clear. This is the only system, if you will, the only way for God to get all of the glory is if it's grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. So when we go back to the introduction and he says, grace to you in verse 3, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He's not just giving niceties. God and God alone should be treated like God and God alone. That means He receives all of the glory ultimately and He and He alone is acknowledged as the author of these things. And guess what? If it's faith plus faithfulness, God doesn't get all of the glory. We're glory robbers. We're glory sharers. 
But if it's only grace, only faith, only Christ, then this statement is true. To God alone be the glory forever and ever. It's right. If it's some kind of partnership, you know it's not right. As I like to say so often, as you read the book of Revelation and you see what happens in heaven, it's worthy is the Lamb. There's no we did it. And Paul's argument in Galatians is the gospel is Christ has done it. And so we're safe. That also necessarily protects the most important thing in the whole world, which would be the godness of God. Which would be the glory of God. It's all ultimately aimed toward Him. So here we go. We're promoting this gospel, the good news about the work of Christ. That gives glory to God. And we make it clear, as clear as we can, it's only by grace, only through faith, only in the finished work of Christ. And there's a lot of unpacking that we need to do as we communicate those things to our friends and our neighbors and our kids and our parents and grandparents. But as we seek to do that and keep our handprints, our fingerprints off of the glory and off of the, the, the works... You know God is pleased with that because we're acknowledging the grace of God. The work of God. God saves. That's the positive side. And the negative is when we say, hey, you can't say it's faith plus faithfulness. That's the right kind of defensive measure because we're talking about the most important thing and that's the glory of God. Not to mention the gospel and the glory of God. Put it another way, the only way the glory of God is really on display is if it's in a pure gospel. Otherwise it isn't. Otherwise it isn't. So, all of that hopefully helps us to see the the seriousness of all of this. Galatians 1. Next time we'll do Galatians chapter 2. But if you want to pray for OBC, you want to pray for other churches in other places, you can make it real simple. If the church is supposed to be a pillar in, the pillar and support of the truth, let's pray that they would be more and more capable of promoting the gospel. Let's pray that they would be more and more faithful at protecting the gospel. And you can put it in your own words and add the names where necessary, but if we're doing that, we're praying for the glory of God. We're praying for the good of the church. We're praying for all of these good things because ultimately it comes under that banner. 